The No Sleep Podcast presents the exclusive 10-part audio adaptation of Alexander Gordon Smith's epic tale, This Book Will Kill You. This Book Will Kill You is the story of Tommy Bright, a young woman who dreamt about a witch, a room, and a table full of meat. This is her story. This is about what happens when the witch comes back to finish what she started. But be warned, because this book just might kill you. The Ninth Part You know I don't have a choice, right? You know it's not really up to me. Because going home isn't an option. My house is contaminated. Mom and Donnie are infected. Going back there means dropping into madness. It's a fast and violent death. And at the end of it, the witch wins. I don't know what she wins. I don't even know what she wants from me. Not really. But she wins. There might be a fast and violent death this way too, but I'm going to take her with me if I can. I reach into my bag again, feeling for the knife again, reassuring myself again. It's sticky with my blood. It's going to be sticky with her blood too. Down in the subway, the world feels a little more normal because I can't see the sky. And under the yellow lights, everyone looks half-dead whether they're half-dead or not. A river of people flows past me, all heading up to the street. Most have faces, but there are some that don't. Hollow-headed men and women and even children, the meaty smell of them filling the corridors. I ignore them, but they don't ignore me. They stare at me through the empty bowls of their heads as I trot to the subway map, as I run my finger up it until I find the station at the top. Kara had already done the work for me. It's written right there on the story. Holler Street and 241st. I head down, riding the escalator until I hit the red line. There are fewer people down here, but enough to make me feel safe. Tourists heading to see the old World Fair site office workers on their way to Fairfax and Celeste. I watch a couple of them throw coins into the hat of a beggar without a face. Then the train's here and we're bustling onto it together. I don't sit. I worry that if I do, I'll black out. I stand by the door, staring at myself in the window, wondering why I can see a silhouette of night right over my shoulder. A silhouette with a moon-yellow grin. Nobody talks to me even though I'm covered in blood, even though my finger is dripping again, even though I'm tear-stained and tattooed with dirt. Nobody asks me if I'm okay. Maybe they can see the shadow over my shoulder, too. It takes longer than I thought, nearly 20 minutes before the train squeals and hisses to a halt at Holler Street Station, and the recorded voice states that it's the end of the line. I've read the story seven times by now, and I know the rules, but I'm not sure if I need to reset before beginning. So I hop off with a handful of people and stand on the platform, 
staring at posters of vacations and health insurance and corporate investments. People mill around me, checking their cell phones. They're talking to each other, but it's like they've discovered a new language. A new language I can't hope to understand. Even the quality of their voices sounds wrong, as if I'm listening to them from underwater. I look at the story instead. I don't want to get it wrong. You can get on by yourself or with another person. I don't think it matters, but know this. If you get on with a person you know, then what happens next is worse. The doors beep, slide open, and I climb inside, finding a seat in the middle of the carriage. There's maybe a dozen people in here with me, and they all keep their distance. They all have their faces, too, which is a huge relief. Check my cell as we pull away. There's no signal down here, and I wonder if I should have texted Mom, told her goodbye, told her to give Donnie a hug from me. Then suddenly, I don't know what I'm doing here. Suddenly, none of it feels possible. How was it that just days ago, I woke up an ordinary girl in an ordinary life? Stop the train. I'm close to screaming and I grip the back of the seat in front so hard my missing finger pulses supernova bright. It's the conductor's voice that settles me. There's a junction stop coming up. Take the train to the first interchange. You have to get off here and take the line that goes east or south. Half the carriage gets off with me, and I follow them down an escalator to the eastbound line that runs from here. I hear the train rumbling around the bend, brakes squealing. There's a sudden flash of lights in the tunnel, a wave of hot air. A thought hits me with the force a train would, the idea that I could end it all here. Five steps, a jump. I wouldn't know a thing about it. And isn't that a hand on my shoulder? Bony fingers in my skin, pushing me, pushing me. I take a step, another then dig my heels in because I don't want to do it. I don't want to let her win. I look back. Nobody there. But I can feel the echo of her touch on my shoulder bone, like her fingertips have detached and are worrying themselves beneath my skin. The train's nearly full and I have to stand, rocking and swaying as it pummels its way through the earth. The lights blink off and on as I try to read the instructions. Stay on this train for three stops, get out on the fourth. I count three stations, watching strangers climb on and off the train. The fourth is Madison, and I get off the train. It's roasting here, the air hot enough to taste. I'm shivering, though, barely able to hold the papers as I cross to the other platform and wait. 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 Get on the same train, but going back the way you've just come. Then here it comes. A primal roar. A metal monster punching out of the tunnel. I get on. Ride it back past the first stop, and then three stops to the west. Get on the same train again, going back. You will notice that this time, the carriage will be empty. There might be people on other carriages, but the one you are in will be empty. If it's not, you've done something wrong. It seems an age of waiting before the next train stops in front of me. The door right there. I hardly dare look. 
But when I do, I see that there is nobody else in the entire carriage. To the left and right of me, people climb onto the train, climb off it. They talk and they shout and they laugh, but it's all muted. It's all too far away for me to really hear. There's too much between us now. I'm like a splinter that's deep inside the skin, I think, muffled in flesh. I don't move, and the train just sits there patiently. I think I can hear its breathing, and there's an image in my head of a horse, a huge black war horse, its chest heaving, its nostrils steaming as it rests before the next charge. There's a beeping, a warning to stand back from the doors, and I run, darting through them as they slide shut. Then they're closed, and my ears ache like I've sunk to the bottom of an ocean. I can't hear anything at all in here. Not the rumble of the engine, not the hiss of the brakes or the rattle of the wheels as the train rocks into motion. I stick a finger in my ear, wiggling it, swallowing, but there's nothing. If you get on this train, it is too late to turn back. Nothing but that maddening quiet, and I'm so focused on it that I almost forget what I'm supposed to be doing. When the doors close, sit down somewhere in the middle, next to a window. Look forward. I crash into a seat, eyes forward, my stomach contracting as the train picks up speed. Ahead of me, I can see through the little window in the door. I can see the carriage in front of me. That's empty too, even though I know I saw people pouring into it. And I'm turning my head to look back when I hear footsteps, when I hear a soft, morning cry. When the train starts moving, you will hear a woman sit down behind you. Do not turn and look at her. Do not acknowledge her in any way. She is looking for you. Oh, God. She's right there, right behind me. The hairs on my arm rise like soldiers, my scalp crinkling. There's another cry, then the sound of somebody sitting. I can hear it because there is still no other sound. The train is perfectly quiet. There's only that soft cry again, like somebody struggling to take in air, their breath ragged, wet, wheezing. (laughs) Where are you? The voice is a million years old, cracked and broken into pieces, whispered right into my ear. It's so unexpected that the groan pours out of me like liquid, and I snap a hand up to hold it in. Are you there? No, 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 no. And even the thought feels too loud. I can feel something brush the back of my neck. Something soft. A finger or a tongue. Is that you? No. Is that you? The train will stop. Nobody will get on. The woman is still sitting behind you. She won't be doing anything, but she is there. You may hear her talking, but do not reply. She is blind, but she is looking for you. We're slowing. I can feel the force of it pull me forward. I hold on to the chair in front, focusing on the pain in my finger, losing myself in it because anything is better than the cold, whispering thing in the seat behind me. Nobody gets on, although I can see people on the platform. 
They seem to be moving in slow motion. Their smiles too slow. Their laughter too slow. Some glance at the open door. Others look at me through the window. And I can see the moment their brain tells them to look away. To not see me. I'm danger. I'm wrong. I'm not really there. The train will stop two more times. It will stay empty apart from you and the woman in the seat behind you. After the third stop, you will feel her stand up and walk away. Do not follow her. Do not look. The acceleration pushes me back, pushes me into a cloud of her breath. I hear her gasp, feel her lean right into me. You are there. No. Turn around. Let me see you. No. Don't you want to know? No. But I think this is a lie. You do, don't you? You want to know who I am that sits behind you? Who I am that sits on this train? Because you know me already, don't you? You know. We're stopping again, and again nobody gets on. The people out there are slower than ever. There's something wrong with their eyes. They are cracked eggs leaking from their shells. Their smiles are wide and false, as if their lips are stapled in place. None of them sees me. I don't think any of them see anything at all. Turn around, Tommy. I've waited so long to see you. Turn around to your mother. I almost do. My head starts moving without permission, but I lock it in place. I stare at the seat in front, at the graffiti scratched there. You won't look at your own mom? After everything I did for you? It's not her. It's not her. Laughter. So familiar. It's Flint's laughter. (laughs) Joke, Tommy. It's me. Come on. Come and give me a hug. And it really could be her. I can hear the click of the rings on her finger as she brushes a hand through my hair. As she leans in. I miss you. It's her smell. It's her. No. Flint's gone. Flint's gone. A gasping (gasps) sob, then a muttering that I can't make sense of. And we're slowing again. Thank God we're slowing again. I can feel my chair lurch as the woman pulls herself up. I hear the soft thud of her footsteps. And I want to look. I have to look, because what if it is Flint? I don't, though. I don't look. I scrunch my eyes shut until I feel the train shudder to a halt, until I hear the beep of the doors. When you arrive back at the interchange, everything will seem normal, but it is not. You have found a way beneath the skin of her world. You are in. You must get off the train here. If you do not, you will be forever lost. And I can't move. I'm just so tired. I'm just so broken. I sit there, I sit there, I sit there, until I picture myself trapped on this train forever. Trapped on this train with a woman who isn't Flint. I fly out of my seat, running for the doors, seeing them close, throwing myself between them and feeling them clamp around my chest. 
I grunt, pulling free, skittering onto the platform. The train's moving out. Through the window, I see people, dozens of them. The empty carriage somehow now full of them. None of them have faces, just those empty nests perched on their shoulders. They all turn as one, and I watch them watching me until they vanish into the darkness of the tunnel. There are more of them here, on the platform. Ten of them, maybe, dressed like regular people in suits and skirts and school uniforms. The inside of their skulls scooped out and thrown away like pumpkin cuts. Some are sitting, slouched against the dirty walls like discarded toys. Those on their feet puppet jerk along the platform, their feet scuffing the dirt, something other than bones and muscle and skin holding them upright. One, dressed like a teenage girl, lifts her hand and points to an archway. The rest imitate her. Ten trembling hands showing me the way. I walk, slowly, because it feels like there's a million tons of rock sitting on my shoulders. Walk through the arch into a lobby. It's the same station I was in just minutes ago, but it's also not. And there are people here too, but also none. I can feel them. I can almost hear them. Regular people in the regular world. But... I can't feel them, too. I can't hear them, either. I'm too deep, I think. Too slow. They're just a blue-bottle buzz in my sinuses, a cold vein in the bedrock of my spine. There's an escalator, heading up. It's not running, so I walk up it, holding my bag like it's a life raft, hoping it will stop me from drowning in the madness that lies at the top of the stairs. There's no station up here, no building at all. There's a forest, trees towering over me like the arches of a church. It infects the metal escalator, moss growing on the steps, shoots pushing up from the cracked tiles. I stumble off at the top, spinning in delirious circles. It's like somebody has ripped a section of the subway and planted it here decades ago. I can still see the concourse below me, people milling back and forth. Their shouts drift up on currents of warm air, calling me back, but I ignore it. She's up here. Because it's working, isn't it? Kara was right. The stories are a map, a way of finding her. She thinks she's safe here. She thinks we can't reach her, but we can I slide the tube game back into the bag and rummage until I find the next one. Three dead things. This story isn't instructional, like the last one, but there's a secret coded into it. I have to find the statues first, of course. But when I turn around to face the forest, I see that they have found me. There are three wooden statues there, where there were none before. They are all facing me. Their crudely carved features drenched in shadows that make them look utterly real. On the left is a bird, its wings angled across its beak. Inside the skylark you will meet the first daughter, he said, and she will ask you a question, but you must not reply. In the middle is a hare, 
its face a mask of grief, its paws clamped to its ears. Inside the hair, you will hear the second daughter whisper to you, but you must not listen. Next to them, slightly taller and leaning in, as if ready to strike them both down, is a creature I cannot identify. Its body is a sheep's, I think, sitting upright, its face covered by a huge pair of human hands, horns poking through the fingers. And inside that one, the bad one. The mother will lie down beside you, but you must not look at her. If you do all these things, then you will learn something incredible. It's so awful that I have to close my eyes. I have to force myself to claw in a breath. There's a crack of wood, a rustling. When I look again, they're closer. They're almost on top of me. It's impossible, of course, because they are held tight by vines and brambles. The forest growing up and over them. So much so that the three little doors in their stomachs are half buried. Two of the doors are closed. Only the mother's is open. I read the story again. Then I walk in a circle around the three statues. They're the length of a fully grown man, no more. And in the gaps between the warped wood, I can see the interior, as green and moldering as the outside. They're empty, all three of them. (sighs) Except they're not, are they? I don't want to do this, but I have to. I don't even know what would happen now if I followed the escalator back down and tried to get back on the train. Maybe I'll end up as one of those faceless people, riding the quiet from station to station to station until time grows old and tired. Anything is better than that. It takes me a while to pry open the first door. I have to dig a path for it in the heavy soil with the knife. I'm not sure if I have to go in all three but something tells me it won't work otherwise. It's weird, because when I finally wrench it open enough for me to squeeze through, I can't see anything. It's choked with darkness. I walk to the side and stare through the slats, seeing the interior just fine. But through the door is nothing. Just nothing. Clambering down onto my hands and knees, I push my head through the door. Stinks of old wood here of decaying things, but it's not a bad smell, just a forest smell. The door's too low for me to crawl in, so I slide the knife into my pocket. The stories, too, because I won't get the bag through the door, and drop to my belly, feeling twigs push into my stomach. I worm my way inside, the darkness consuming me. It's absolute. It's like I've gone blind. I have to pull myself deeper, the agony in my finger unbearable as I claw at the dirt, at the wet wood, moss gathering beneath my nails. There's no end. It goes on and on, and when I try to angle my head around, I can't see the door behind me either. Fuck. The panic detonates in my chest, my stomach. I'm retreating, pushing backward. But I think my t-shirt is caught on something because it's bunching around my neck, as tight as a noose. Fuck. Only, it's not my t-shirt, because whatever is there is moving, coiling around my throat, 
cold fingers working their way over my chin and pushing into my mouth, tasting of dirt, of age, of death. I scream through them, scream because I can feel her beneath me, her bird-like body moving under mine, her face right there, dry lips nuzzling my forehead. Oh God, oh God, oh God, God. Is it safe to come out? Inside the Skylark, you will meet the first daughter, he said, and she will ask you a question, but you must not reply. You must not reply, you must not reply, you must not reply. Is it safe? I can't move my hand over my mouth, there's no space, but I bite my lips between my teeth, bite hard, bite until I can taste blood. Her face nudges against my face like a cat. I can feel the ridge of her nose. I can feel the wet bulge of her eyeballs, her lashes tickling me as she blinks. Her hands still work their way around my mouth, my ears, my eyes. She suddenly lurches, her body shaking so hard it throws me up against the roof of the coffin. There's still movement there, but when my head drops down, it's worms I can feel, a knotted mess of them. I dig down, pushing back feeling them mush between my fingers, but I don't care. I just drive myself back, cracking my elbows and my knees and my skull against the wood until the day is right there, until it catches me. I make it to my knees, but no further. I cup my head in the filth of my hands and the sobs just pour out of me, torrential. I can't breathe past them. I can't do anything except ride through them, wait until there's nothing left inside. I stay that way even when I've calmed spitting the taste of the dead thing from my mouth. Then I turn my head and look at the second statue. I understand its expression now, because I'm wearing it too. Lines of grief have been hacked into my skin and my eyes. My face is swimming with horror. But I go in. Of course I do. I grunt and swear and scream my way into the darkness of the hair crawling for five full minutes before the dead thing bubbles up from the soil and wraps me in its arms. I'm almost not quick enough. I almost can't get my arms up in time, but I ram my fingers into my ears just as it begins to talk to me. No! No, 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 no! But I can still hear her. I can still hear the soft whisper of her voice as she speaks to me. No, 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 no! I can hear her cries. I can hear her desperate, pleading calls for help. No, 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 no! I'm screaming the words now, screaming them into her face with everything I have until she too erupts into a soup of worms and maggots. I almost don't have what it takes to make it out. I'm too weak, and the tunnel is too long. I don't know how much later it is that I feel the softness of the forest floor beneath my boots the warmth of the sun on my ankles. Those last few feet are the hardest, but I do it, birthed like a mewling, breech-born baby, rolling onto my side with the statues behind me. The escalator's still there. The third statue's still there, too. I can feel it watching me. It is watching me, because when I flop onto my back, its long wooden fingers have opened and its black eyes blink at me from underneath. I'm coming for you, I think I say. I know that if I lie here for a minute more, I'll never get up again. 
The weeds will grow over me, and I'll live here forever, in the shadow of the statues. Three dead things for company. So I crawl to the little door in the third statue, and push my way into the darkness there. It's the same story. I'm almost used to it now. This one feels worse, though. It feels smaller, the ceiling so low that I can't even take in a full lung full of stale air. I imagine the statue folding itself over me, compacting me inside it, digesting me, and I'm groaning with the horror of it as I push deeper and deeper and deeper, till the ground grows soft, crumbling beneath my touch. I dig at it, feeling it drop away from me, and there's light there, like I've burrowed my way into an underground room. The earth's falling from beneath me now, and I panic, wedging myself between the walls of the tunnel, frightened of falling. There's nothing beneath me now but light, and I'm not falling. I'm not falling because there's something holding me in place here, face down and staring at the sky. The sky. I can see the clouds moving across it, and I can hear people, too, speaking a language I don't understand. I'm about to call out to them when I remember, screwing my eyes shut. I feel a cold shape lean over me, clamber in beside me, its body cold. See me, and all this can end. See me, and I will spare you. I shake my head, and as soon as I do, a handful of soil lands back inside the tunnel, hitting me in the face as hard as a slap. I spit it out, coughing hard, feeling another one land on my chest, another on my neck. They're landing fast and hard, and I grab at it, trying to throw it back out. But gravity has reversed. It keeps bouncing back up, choking me, blinding me. And all I can hear is laughter as the tunnel fills with soil and stones. It's over my head now. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't. The world twists, spinning like a tumble dryer. The soil peeling away. The tunnel peeling away. The whole world peeling away. And I'm lying on my back on hard cold asphalt, the sky still overhead. I sit up, bile burning from my stomach, hanging from my lip. I'm not in the forest anymore. I'm back in the city, back in my city. I know it's my city because I can see the entrance to the mall just up the street. I can see the window of the Starbucks where Flint and I meet. It's my city, but it's empty. There's not a single person in sight. Except that's not true, because somebody is watching me. I can feel it on the nape of my neck, as if I've carried a dozen spiders with me from the forest. I don't want to turn around, but I do. I don't want to turn around because I know what I'll see there, but I do, and I'm right. And inside that one, the bad one, The mother will lie down beside you, but you must not look at her. If you do all these things, then you will learn something incredible. She will show you a building, I think. She will show you her home. And it's right there, the tower from my dreams, the place where the witch lives.
This Book Will Kill You, written by Alexander Gordon Smith, adapted for audio by Jessica McAvoy, produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski, musical score composed by Brandon Boone. This Book Will Kill You, the ninth part, starred Jessica McAvoy as Tommy Bright, Mary Murphy as the woman on the train, Aaron Lillis as Tommy's mother, Kristen DiMercurio as Flint, and Tanya Milozovic, Danielle McRae, and Katabel Ansari as the dead things. Join us next week for This Book Will Kill You, the final part. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc. The copyright for This Book Will Kill You is held by Alexander Gordon Smith.